Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of the Mentor Podcast. Today, we are joined by a friend of mine, Jenna Moore. Jenna is someone that I've known for almost 12 years now. Jenna is a performance dietitian who graduated from the University of Colorado. During her time in education, she worked with athletes at the Olympic Training Center, and she's done work with the Denver Broncos administration, Colorado Avalanche, and other professional athletes associated with the NBA, MLB, and NAHA. She is currently uh, part of a team of performance dietitians that are forming a new company called Inc. Nutrition. And this was a really educational episode for me personally, just because there's so many myths about nutrition. There's so many myths about diet. There's a lot of fad diets or trendy things that are coming out now. Um, And in this episode, we pretty much talk about all of those things, all of the popular diets like intermittent fasting, keto, but also just in general, what should we be doing as everyday people or performance athletes to live the healthiest life that we can possibly live and put the best, highest quality food into our bodies in order to perform. So without further ado, this is episode seven of the Mentor Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is, let me look here, see how many episodes we're at now. I think this is seven. Yep, this is episode seven with Jenna Moore. Before we get started, just a quick disclaimer. Uh, John Herrera is currently in medic school. It's like a six-month accelerated program, so he's going to be hit or miss whether he can be a part of these interviews or not. Um, For today, it's just going to be me interviewing Jenna, but this is exciting for me because I was talking to Becca, and I think you and I have known each other now for like 11 and a half years. It's been almost 12 years since yeah. we were serving together at a restaurant. Which so. <laughs> is crazy, which is crazy. Cause I think over the years and we'll get into this, but over the years you have changed in a lot of ways, you know, like physically, but also, um, you know, professionally and some of the stuff that you've done. So really excited to talk to you. I know I've talked to a bunch of people in anticipation of this episode and I was like, Hey, I'm going to interview a registered dietitian. And I feel like a lot of people have questions when it comes to diet. So really excited about this one. Um, But before we get started with any formal questions, how about you just give us your backstory? Yeah. And gosh, since we're on the topic, let me, let me kind of give you guys a a better idea of who I was 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. My gosh, I was, I was in my, my late teens, early Mm twenties. And um, I was very much a person who did not like healthy food. I don't think I voluntarily ate a fruit or vegetable until I was in college. (laughs) Um, but I decided to do something crazy. I, you know, I, I was a kid who was obese, um, and I was searching for, you know, just an, an answer. And so I came across the idea of doing something crazy and going to school for nutrition and, um, fell madly in love with the Manitou incline, fell madly in love with hiking in general, and was able to lose 50 pounds, go to school for nutrition, become a sports dietitian and performance dietitian. And now I work with people all over the country, all over the world, uh, right. working with nutrition and, and optimizing performance. I think that's pretty much the most important thing that I want to emphasize about my career is it's all about performance right. and, and and nutrition plays a huge role in that. So I hope that's a, a good introduction for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. I, I do, I do kind of have a follow-up question to that too, though. So you talked about, 
you know, you didn't necessarily come from a healthy lifestyle and, you know, you didn't necessarily eat healthy, you know, 12 years ago when you were growing up as a kid, did, did your parents emphasize healthy eating? Like, was it something that your parents were like, Hey, we've got a lot of fruits and vegetables or this is how you're supposed to eat. Or was it kind of just up to you? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, it's funny because I tell people, some people who know me from my childhood would, would know that both my parents are doctors and they assume, mm. you know, Oh, you must've grown up in a very life, healthy lifestyle. Not yeah. the case at all actually. And I'm really lucky. I just adore my dad and he's really gotten into, into nutrition in the past handful of years. And I think it's been good to just bring that into the environment of our family, just an awareness of healthy eating. I think mm -hmm. I was the first person that probably initiated that, but mm. now my little brother is going to school for that, um, wow. for, for his minor. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of influence in it in our family now, but I think it wasn't instilled in us when we were kids. And I think that's probably the reason I was, so, mm. I had so many questions when mm -hmm. I was a kid, right? Cause mm. some of us get lucky and get born into family who know something about nutrition, right. but it's not like they teach us this in school, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the thing that about nutrition is it's, it's there's a huge potential to, to learn about nutrition these days because we right. have access to so many resources, right. but I didn't when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. So what was the, you know, like you talked about, you decided you were going to turn your life around, lose 50 pounds, you know, um, go to school, become a registered dietitian. Like what was that tipping point for you or what was the turning point where you were like this is a lifestyle i want to adopt yeah it's a great question john and i think you know honestly i was i was thinking about it this morning because i've got this tattoo I, I got on my on my foot when i was probably 19 years old before mm. i did any of this right i think it was kind of a kind of a you know like this prequel to what, what i was about to live but it says seek the best in life and i think that what we're looking for when it comes to nutrition to performance exercise mental health it's about the quality of life, right? And I didn't even have that phrase to put on it until probably 10 years later when I was working at the athletic training facility that I used to work at in Denver. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, performance was so, such a, such an important concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that when people realize that you can live a higher quality of life when you eat healthy, exercise, take care of your mind, then all of a sudden there's, there's a motivation there, right? Right. right. Yeah. No, that's cool. And actually, I think one of the reasons I've been so interested in interviewing you is because I have known you for so long. So like I've seen the transformation that you've gone through, you know, both physically, but like, again, like I said, professionally as well. And it's really cool to see because, you know, I'm sure you've seen it where you either have a nutrition or, or nutritionist or a personal trainer who is giving people, people advice, but doesn't necessarily walk the walk. Right. I think what's really cool about you is you walk the walk. Like if anybody was to know you 12 years ago compared to who you are now, like you've gone through that transformation. So when you have a client who's, you know, talking about maybe how it's hard to stay disciplined or, you know, how it's hard to stay on this path or eat certain things, like you've lived it, which I think is really cool and speaks to your character too. Man, can I tell you real quick that like I am I am living it every day still, right? Like yeah. it did, like those like those sugar cravings, those like hunger cravings, those fullness feelings, like they don't go away for the rest of your life. Right. Um, I'm a big believer in the concept that like our problems never really go away. We just mm. learn to deal with them better. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten really good at dealing with my my problems around nutrition from yeah. when I was obese. Now there's there's a lot of research showing that maybe perhaps genetics plays a huge role in that, right? Mm. Maybe as perhaps as far as what you want to eat or oh oh yeah, like and, what and, your uh, cravings are, I guess. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And, and, and there's also an environmental component to it too, mm. right? Like if you're going to surround yourself with a lot of highly processed, hyper palatable foods, chances are you'll probably crave those mm. and continue to eat them. Um, but if you surround yourself with 
a lot of unprocessed, whole, true, real foods, and you continue to eat them, chances are that you may develop a taste for them. Mm. There's a lot of research more so in like the, the children's area okay. around taste development, but, mm. but there's also more evidence coming hopefully in the future about adults and their food preferences. That's, that is interesting. And actually it goes in line with, so I've read some psychology studies that talk about just habits in general that you never actually get rid of habits. You have to replace them with other habits. So kind of like you're talking about, it's like the temptation doesn't go away, but you essentially create a new healthier habit to kind of take the place of what you did previously. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's just get into our question. So what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you think there are when it comes to diet? So, <laughs> you know, it's so funny you say that because I think the biggest misconception about diet is like, the word diet itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I was doing, actually Googled it not too long ago. And, and it turns out that Oxford dictionary finally added like what we think of as a diet to the definition, but mm -hmm. historically diet is just a regular eating pattern, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really something that is this, 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 um, process or program that we adopt and we restrict and we avoid food and then we feel deprived and mm -hmm. then we cheat. But, but like, you know, why would we ever cheat on ourselves? Yeah. And so now we're guilty and like, right. but we're guilty that we ate the food. And so there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of different definitions for diet. But if we're just talking about like strictly what it means is it means what are you usually eating? Mm -hmm. What are you regularly eating? Mm -hmm. And so we have the American diet. We have, you know, people who adopt a paleo diet. We have people who realize that they can't sustain a single diet every day, the rest of their life, which mm -hmm. is probably like 99% of yeah, people. <laughs> sure. And so you, you have like these interventions, right? And you have these um, these therapies that you apply to yourself and you have these, these, um, phases in your life where you learn something by eating a certain way mm -hmm. and taking away from it, what you, what you will, right. Mm -hmm. Whether it be deprivation or, Hey, like I did, I did keto and I felt great, or mm -hmm. I did vegetarian and I felt even better. Right. It's just, every, it's going to be so different for everybody because everybody's genes are different. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's interesting to look at diet and say, okay, what, what does the word really mean to yeah. me? Um, cause if it's got a neg negative stigma, like it does for so many people, chances are you probably won't respond well to them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I know for like for me personally, I've always been um, the type of person who really does struggle with the concept of following a prescribed diet. You know, like I'm when you talk about what does diet mean, um, I when I hear the word diet, what I think of is something that first of all has a duration, right? Is not necessarily a lifestyle, but more of a like, okay, I'm gonna do this for six weeks or I'm gonna do this for 12 weeks, and then the end goal is at the end of those 12 weeks, I'll lose X amount of pounds, right? Or or I'll gain X amount of pounds of muscle or whatever, right? And then inevitably what always happens when you have that mindset is you just revert back to what you did before as right. opposed to making <laughs> lifestyle changes. So that's that's a great point. And I do think that the word diet has a lot of negative connotations surrounding it. Like when people hear that word, they probably think a lot like what I'm talking about is the, all those things, a duration, changing your lifestyle for a set period of time as opposed to truly just making a lifestyle change. Right? And, you, and I agree with you, John. And I, I think honestly, like it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to be so anti-diet. We can be anti-diet in certain circumstances, right? Like I mm -hmm. don't think diets are appropriate for, for girls with eating disorders, but yeah. I do think that diets can be appropriate for people who have severe or even significant medical issues that mm -hmm. can be, um, that can be alleviated by better nutrition habits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What are some of the big, or excuse me, I'm going to back up actually, uh, macros versus counting calories. So first of all, I think everybody knows what counting calories means, but I'm sure there's people who don't know what counting macros means. So first of all, would you, would you explain to us what counting macros means and then give us the pros and cons of 
counting macros versus counting calories. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. And I think this is a really good topic of conversation, John, because um, when you're counting macros, you're basically doing the same thing as mm-hmm. counting calories, right? right. But, but, but for those of you who aren't as familiar with counting macros, so macros or, or macronutrients mm-hmm. is the big, big fancy word. How I explain it is, is it's just the different ways that we can get energy into our body, right? There's mm-hmm. only three things besides alcohol, which we'll, we'll save for maybe a later day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you can get calories or energy from, right? And that's just carbs, proteins, and fats. Mm-hmm. So carb, protein, fat, these are our macronutrients. These are our macros. And so when people are counting macros, they're counting the number of carbohydrates, the number of protein, the number of fats, mm-hmm. typically in grams or calories mm-hmm. that they're eating in a day. Um, there's a lot of fun conversation behind macros, mm. right? Because the, the ratios are what what the hot topic is. Right. Is it better to have a, a you know, your traditional uh, USDA recommends that you um, as an American have 50% carbohydrates, mm. 20 to 30% protein and 15 to 25% fat in a day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, traditionally the USDA would say, okay, here's our food pyramid, eat to, to meet these goals, eat grains as your foundation, eat some dairy, eat some vegetables, fruits, and use sparingly these sweets at the top. Mm-hmm. Now it's 2022 and right. we've kind of come away from the, the food pyramid. We've right. gone to the plates, right? And mm-hmm. I like the plates because we can put different foods on the plates and we can make meals on the plates. Um, but I think, you know, the, the contra, well, I, I, I don't want to call it controversy, but I think that the hot discussions come up when people deviate from that tradition and go toward more of like a healthy fat diet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody says, Says, oh, I, I respond really well to fifty or sixty percent fat as my mm-hmm. as my macro for fat, and mm-hmm. then you know f- fifteen to twenty five percent protein, ten to twenty, ten to thirty percent carbohydrate. That all of a sudden becomes a really hot conversation. And right. what populations is that appropriate for, and what's it not appropriate right. for, right. especially when it comes to sports and performance nutrition, right? Okay. Yep. Um, so so anyway, I hope that's <laughs> a good no, that makes way sense. to umbrella macronutrients right. for you. So which so between um, counting macros versus counting calories. What's your mindset with those? Yeah. So I think, you know, like any intervention, right? It, it's a good thing to dive into as a, as a temporary, um, uh, temporary decision. Um, and, and, and really invest your time into learning how it works because it can mm-hmm. help you when you come out of that. I'm going to log every single thing I'm eating in the, into the most accurate portion that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but at the end of the day, it's just an estimation, right? right. And so, what we're doing is we're trying to learn like, what do I respond well to? And you can actually see a pretty big contrast mm-hmm. when you do count calories versus when you don't. And then when you come out of that and you're like, oh, I know what a portion looks like, right? right? Now, now all of a sudden, if you have an issue with eating too much and your portion sizes, then maybe you can regulate that or mm-hmm. control or just be aware of it a little bit better. So there is benefits to counting calories, right? right? When you're counting macros, you're counting three different things. Right. So it can be a little bit more work, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, there's a little bit more thought that goes into if my, you know, if my, if I'm trying to meet my protein needs and I'm going to focus on protein mm-hmm. and what does that look like? And now I'm going to focus on carbs. Now I'm going to focus on fat. I think unfortunately what, ca- what counting calories and counting macros cannot do for us mm-hmm. is it doesn't show us how we can time our energies appropriately for training and performance. Mm-hmm. And even just for sedentary lifestyles, mm-hmm. right? Like if we're eating high carbohydrate diets and sitting at a desk all day and wondering why we can't lose weight. Well, there's, there's, there's something to be said about fast energies and slow energies. I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great uh, discussion. You know, for me, I've never been like Becca does count macros. She uses my fitness pal, but she doesn't go to the extent of like weighing her food. And I've worked with people at the fire department who have weighed their food for the purpose of I'm doing, I'm counting my macros. Right. And I'm like, when I watch it, I'm just like, 
man, that would just take so much discipline and work to do. Energy. Yeah. Like, I mean, like good on them for doing it, but I just, on a personal level, you know, that doesn't motivate me to want to do that. So do you, do you weigh your food? Like, do you use a scale and weigh your food every day? So, so John, and this is like such a good topic of conversation because I think that like some people do that as a lifestyle and some Mm -hmm. people do that as a, as a lesson. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I, and yes, I, to answer your question, like I've definitely measured my food down to the gram and Mm -hmm. and I've done it in the past and I know what it looks like. And so Mm -hmm. now I can just eye it now and I don't need to use it. Right. Yeah. That's Um, And the same thing with vlogging your macros or logging your calories on my fitness pal, which by the way, you're rocks uh, yeah, also she rocks it, yeah. it oh my god and so so when you when you do that and you get a snapshot of what that looks like you can say oh okay i can come away from this and i just have like this knowledge now maybe i forget sometimes like mm-hmm. what what eight grams of protein looks like and or, i'm sorry eight ounces of protein looks like and so maybe i go back and just like i it someday but like mm-hmm. i haven't done it in the past three years because i just i just, you just know, know what, what it looks like, like you know right. what i mean yeah well and you've probably gotten to the point now where you're maintaining what you want right i mean like you've you know what it looks like you know how you want to look how you want to perform so you're just kind of are you just kind of in a maintenance mode now with that? Oh, basically? hell no. Oh, oh hell really? no. No, no. I am always growing. I am okay. always, always, always growing. So, so like, let me take you maybe through like the past year, um, that I've, I've done with like my, my body composition. So like I've done, you know, and I love doing interventions. I think it's really fun to learn and again, come away because like, I know my foundations there when I come back to it, but like, I went through this intuitive eating phase, right. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, okay, I'm going to only intuitively eat and just see what happens. And I thought it was so clever. I went Meaning and got, like when you get hungry, you're eating or. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Let, let me back up and kind of give you an idea of what intuitive eating looks like. Intuitive eating is just this idea that like you really don't have any rules okay. um, around nutrition, right? Okay. And you're eating. So like you just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Okay. Um, which you know, I see you smiling and it's like, yeah. yes, that yes, sounds this fun. Is t- sounds terrifying, <laughs> but also fun, right? And um, you know, at the same time, I just so happened to, you know, accept my position as a traveling dietitian for this corporate company that we're building a new business for. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh yeah, here's your, here's your, here's your business card. Go have fun in the restaurants in, in, in all the major cities in the country. And I was like, heck yeah. Like I'm going to go, I'm going to go eat. And so I was working out really hard and, um, and I got, and I gained some muscle in some really great places. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, gosh, like this is cool, but like, I don't think I like this for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't running as much. I wasn't doing the Manitou incline that right. I love as much. I wasn't, I wasn't in the body composition state that I wanted to be in to be a high performer in my mountain climbing. Okay. And so what I decided is like, okay, it's time to cut. Yeah. And so I've had a blast the past like six months cutting. I've gone, I'm probably down like you know, 15 pounds wow. from the 25 pounds that I had gained in muscle and, and fat, right. Mm-hmm. From, from my eating regimen. And so now I'm in this place where it's like, okay, I'm going to take my, my growth and my, um, my nutrition to a place where I'm comfortable with, because I have the knowledge behind it to mm-hmm. back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to answer your question, I'm always growing. I, there are times where I'm stagnant and I'm happy with where I'm at. Yeah. It's just not right now. <laughs> so when you do, and not to like totally get sidetracked, cause I still want to have a discussion about some specific macros, but when you're doing these body composition tests, do you just do like DEXA scans and stuff as you go or? Yeah, great question. So DEX is a wonderful, wonderful tool and I love it. It's a little expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that like to do what you need to do in any intervention, if you're me- if, if you're if you're trying to see a result is measure, right? Mm-hmm. I had this conversation with one of my professional athletes yesterday and he, he just wants to be leaner. It's like, cool. So what are you doing to measure your body fat? Mm-hmm. And he hadn't had a, a, a skin fold measurement in mm-hmm. three years. Mm-hmm. So you can do DEXA. I really like Bod Pod. I think Bod Pod's my favorite right now because okay. it's just pretty accurate. And you can find them in the Springs. You can find them in Denver. You can find them across the country, honestly, right. pretty much anywhere. Right. And it's pretty darn accurate. Mm-hmm. It's just um, air displacement plyosmography. Okay. So you're just basically measuring the um, the pressure against your fat versus your muscle and bone tissues. Okay. Um, and it's cool stuff. It's like accurate to like a pretty good percent and yeah. 
as long as, you know, keep in mind, like if you go into hydrated, that might be different. If you go in fully replenished, sure. I think that's important to consider. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the way that I measure my progress is I do it before a during, and then maybe an after, right. If I, if I need it. Um, but I, I want to see, you know, at least a before and after and what my intervention is measuring, mm -hmm. because if we're not measuring, that's a huge chance for us to be disappointed because yes. we fall short of whatever our expectations in our right. mind were right. versus like what the paper says. Right. right. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, I think that the Hibble Center has a DEXA scan, or maybe they have a body. They pod. do. Oh, they have okay. the Lane Center has a yeah, yeah. The Lane Center has a DEXA. Yeah. So Jason Mitchler, who we interviewed from one of our previous episodes, he was like, "Hey, you can come in, and I'll I'll run you through it." I mean, I've never done one, so I'm like, "Yeah, I'll do it." You gotta yeah. try. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. We yeah. did it when I was there too for my undergrad, and I was so pissed because I like had measured myself, and then like I lost muscle and gained fat when I did uh, my other, and I was like, "What the heck?" Yeah, so yeah. so you have to like you have to just be mindful of what that looks like, but it's so accurate and it's yeah. so cool to see your body composition. Yeah, I'm you know? sure it's helpful. Well, cool. So let's circle back to uh, the, this macro discussion. There's two things that I really want to talk about with this. So the first one was protein. Okay, so. Um, obviously I, I would say I live a pretty active lifestyle. I lift like two or three times a week. I do jujitsu three or four times a week, sometimes more. Um, and I listened to this podcast called mind pump, which is awesome. If you've never listened to it before, it's a great podcast. It's like, uh, three guys. One of them is a former power lifter. The other two were former bodybuilders. So they just talk about health and nutrition. This topic frequently comes up for athletes of if you're eating protein, you should eat one gram per bot for per pound of body weight. Well, for me as somebody who's 220 pounds, like that's very difficult to do. So do you prescribe to that thought process of one gram per pound of body weight or what's, what's your thought process <laughs> with that? So these rules of thumb, right? Um, rule, rule of thumb is one gram of protein per pound of body weight in pounds. Right. Yeah. And so, so what I, what I think is so funny about being a, a performance dietitian is you have to translate the research and the research is, is, is all in metrics, mm -hmm. not, uh, not American numbers. Uh -huh. And so, so you look back at what the research shows for athletes and protein needs, right? It's really fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. Actually. I can't even, can't even tell you how geeked out I get by this, but like, you know, traditionally you'd have people who are very, um, let's call it plant-based who, who had come out in, in, in the media and said, you know, you only need about 0 0.8 grams of protein per pound of, or per kilogram of body okay. weight, which puts it at like a quarter of what we're talking about right now with a pound, right? Okay. Give or take, we're going to yeah. have some rough estimates here. Um, but then you get into the, the sports fitness industry where, um, and, and, and like the athletic fields where the common and, and most established recommendations for athletes and protein needs are anywhere from like 1.5 or 1.8 to like 2.2 max grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, 2.2 okay. just so happens to be one pound. So oh, okay. when they say, you know, you need a gram of protein per pound, you're talking about your absolute max, according to what current sports oh, okay. nutrition recommendations are. Okay. Now I've seen research, especially in the fields of like bodybuilding, right? Where you are just trying to like put on muscle. Yes. And, and in that situation, like there is some evidence possibly to suggest that maybe you can, you can, you know, eat a little bit more mm -hmm. and, it, and it's justified. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're talking about protein, I think the most important conversation we need to have around particularly muscle mass and muscle gain mm -hmm. is just making sure that you're timing it appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a saying in the world of sports nutrition that timing is everything and it's really true. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that if people realize that like your body can really only absorb a certain amount of protein at a time from muscle protein, synthesis was like 30 grams or something like that you know 30 is a good place to stay mm -hmm. 20 to 30 grams i think mm -hmm. and i've even seen you know research suggest slightly more but you but what, what happens is eventually there's you know there's evidence to suggest that if you're eating like 40 50 60 grams of protein your body's muscle protein synthesis 
pathways kind of start to turn off because they're like, oh, we got enough protein. We don't need to be mm. we don't need to be as sensitive or as absorptive for this this right. nutrient, right? Because right. we've got in our protein storage pool. And so what I tell athletes is if you're trying to put on muscle and you're really serious about this, one, make sure you're freaking eating enough. You know mm. what I mean? Like most most athletes don't. Right. Um, in, in my experience. And so then you have like um, you know, 30 grams of protein, let's call it 20 to 30 grams of protein every three to four hours. And now you're maximizing the potential for your body to take up that protein and utilize it as muscle. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great because I mean, I've gotten into, and granted, I'm not a specimen by any means, but protein is something that I've definitely tried to ensure that I'm getting enough of, but I know for a fact that like post-workout, there have been times where I've consumed probably 50 to 60 sure, grams of protein. Sure. <laughs> and in reality, half of it's probably not even being used for what it's supposed to. So, And that doesn't mean it's not there, right? Protein's a really interesting molecule because it, it really only gets utilized a little bit for energy. Like only about 6% of cal calories from protein are used for like actual energy production. Mm. Most of it is like used for tissue maintenance. And honestly, like most, like a, a good chunk of it, like 30% of protein is actually just like the calories are used to break it down because mm. it's so complex and it keeps yeah. us so full. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, other macro I wanted to talk about was fat. I know you, well, you specifically wanted to talk about fat. So you've got some, uh, is it, you know, some interesting programming around fat that's coming up or what, what's, what's your thought processes with fat? Cause I know there's a lot of misconception <laughs> around it. You know, I mean, just the, the name alone you know, triggers people. Oh, isn't it crazy? Yeah. Isn't it so crazy? I have, I have so many people who come into my office and they, and they tell me that they're, you know, they're trying to eat low fat to, to lose weight. And I'm like, Oh guys, guys, yeah. come on. Like we got it. We got it. We got to catch up. We got to yeah. catch up. Um, and that's how the field of nutrition is. You know what I mean? People still come to me and ask me, you know, uh, are eggs bad for my cholesterol is, you know, is salt bad for, you know, is salt going to cause heart disease? To mm -hmm. me? And it's just like, this is stuff that we've debunked decades ago. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to fats, like, you know, fats are, fats are my jam. I, mm -hmm. I, I freaking love fats because they have so much potential to help people in so many ways. And I think that, you know, um, I was talking to one of the dietitians I know, um, back in LA, she works at an oncology center where they do a lot of like artwork and music as, mm. as, um, integration into the therapies for cancer patients. And she was telling me, you know, like if you have a diet that's carbs, proteins, and fats, that's, you know, all, all whole real foods, you know, it's, it's, it's just a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it from a macronutrient standpoint, going back to that, you know, there's four calories in protein per gram, four calories in carbs per gram, and nine calories in fats mm -hmm. per gram. And so what you look at, you're looking at is, is a very dense mm -hmm. macronutrient, mm -hmm. right? It's very dense and it's also very satiating. It's also very slow. It takes like eight hours or more to digest fats, mm -hmm. whereas like some carbohydrates, like your gummy bears and Gatorade, yeah. take like 15 minutes. Yeah. And so when you have this slow energy, if you have somebody who's got a lot of appetite issues, right? Or hunger control or, or issues with, then fat can be a very therapeutic um, thing to integrate into your lifestyle. And so, so yeah, so, so our new nutrition program nourish is coming out hopefully in the spring or summer, probably, um, with our new company Inc nutrition. And, and the goal is to really help people lose weight in a way that's metabolically efficient mm. and not de depriving. Right. And so if you're looking at healthy fats and you're saying, okay, like I can eat fat to, to learn how to burn fat. Now, all of a sudden the conversation comes, um, in a very opposite way than in eating fat to, to, to gain fat. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's quite opposite actually. Right. Right. Uh, I just thought of a question. I'm not like trying to throw curveballs your way, but Dude, bring it on. I heard this, I heard this a couple of months ago. Um, his name is, uh, Dr. Stepani. I think his name is he's freaking ripped and he's like tattooed from head to toe, but 
he's got a lot of really interesting thought processes with diet. And one of the things that he subscribes to is he'll tell all of his athletes and bodybuilders after they do a hard workout to eat dextrose mm -hmm. in the form of like gummy bears and then, pro and then take their protein for basically the purpose of, I don't know, triggering an insulin response to help Stimulate anabolism. Yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting approach. And and sports nutrition literature does support the notion of um of you know combining carbohydrates and proteins for post workout replenishment. Mm -hmm. However, I think you know more of the approach is is not necessarily in stimulating insulin for anabolic growth because insulin is also you know it's it's also something that's going to produce a lot of like fat. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If mm -hmm. if you choose to go in excess, right? I think it's more so for muscle glycogen. Honestly, okay. muscle glycogen for you guys that don't know um, is is really our body's stored form of carbohydrates, and we have to have muscle glycogen to perform because it's our body's source of energy. Right? Carbs are quick. Our muscles need quick energy. Mm -hmm. Once our blood sugar has been depleted, once our liver glycogen has been depleted, we rely on our muscle tissue for energy and that's carbs, mm. not just protein. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into that conversation, you talk about depletion, you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're, if you're chronically depleted, you can't, you can't build muscle. Right. Um, if you're chronically depleted, maybe there's evidence to suggest that maybe you can tap into your fat stores better. Mm -hmm. We don't have the conglomerative evidence for that yet, but that's the notion behind ketogenic diets, behind higher fat diets, behind Okay. fats in general. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great. All right. What are some of the biggest pieces of advice you'd give someone looking to either lose weight or gain weight? And there's such different things, but they both require like what people perceive as so much effort, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> or maybe, sure. you know, and I want to use the word consistency, but I don't even think consistency is the right word. Mm -hmm. I think because you can, you can have different interventions and still be successful. I think it's determination, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, and, and just, you know, um, making a decision, I think is the other piece of that, mm -hmm. right? Because when somebody I meet with is like, has been a chronic dieter for their entire life or trying to lose weight their entire life or trying to gain muscle and just won't work. What happens is people just haven't made the decision to really do what it takes to mm -hmm. do it, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're attaching onto something that they, that they still want to hold on to. So maybe it's, you know, it, maybe it's a, it's the sweets. Maybe they don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, r minimize their sweets for an intervention time long enough to see results because they are attached to them. Right. Um, maybe they don't want to gain weight because they don't want to put in the effort and the work of preparing food, or maybe they just have a lack of knowledge of how to prepare it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there's so many different reasons, but I think what it boils down to is, is just making the decisions to do the work. Right. Um, and it's not anything I think that even has a, as much to do with discipline as it does to do with decision. Gotcha. Gotcha. What are your thoughts on fad diets? <laughs> I guess, well, first of all, what would you consider to be a fad diet? And then secondly, what are your thoughts on them? It's a great question. And, and I just recently decided to, to spend way too long on my whiteboard making a, a quote that I had heard back when I was um, in college. I had a really good mentor, actually. Mm. Um, she was a sports dietitian, fierce as heck. Um, and I just looked up to her so much. She was mm. working with us figure skating, um, Olympic athletes. And I got to, you know, I got to shadow her and work with her with those guys. And, um, she would tell her clients, there's a reason the word die is in diet. Mm. Right. And, um, and, and it's just the best thing ever. I love it so much. And, um, so when it comes to fad diets, like I, I think what people fail to acknowledge often enough is that they end. Right. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes we don't get out of them what we want to, right. and, or even what we put into them. Right. 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 Um, and so they're not guaranteed to work. They're mm -hmm. not guaranteed to give us anything. Mm -hmm. But I hope that my hope is that if somebody decides to partake in a fad diet, they one recognize 
that it's, you know, if it's a product, right? right? It's not this, this, this miracle cure. And two, like you can gain things from doing temporary interventions, but when you come back out of that bubble, you have to come back to something that's a solid foundation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that so many people don't even have a solid foundation in nutrition to begin with. And so they, you know, they kind of jump from island to island their whole life trying to figure out what's working for them when they never really just take a break and say, okay, like, what do I like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, what gives me a higher quality of life? Yeah. And what do I want for myself right. versus like, what am I trying to, what am I trying to gain? Right. So with that in mind, I don't, do you listen to, um, have you ever listened to Dr. Rhonda Patrick? Oh yeah. Okay. So she talks a lot about how really one of the most accurate ways to figure out what you should be eating is to essentially get, you know, it could be 23 and me or, but it's genetic testing. And then based on your genetic markers, they can tell you, Hey, this is the type of diet you should probably be eating. Yeah. Do you do you think that that's an efficient way to figure out that like what type of foods we should be eating? So I'm going to, I'm going to take what Dr. Rhonda Patrick has done and I'm going to expand on it because this is the coolest thing about that. Um, like genetic testing, John is it's information, mm-hmm. right? And if I, if I had $10,000 today, I would spend it all on, on testing in general for myself, mm-hmm. just to learn about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of food sensitivity testing, um, in my practice and we do blood work and we do hormonal testing. And then mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's genome mm-hmm. testing for your gut. Right. And so now all of a sudden you're getting information about your microbiome that's genetically related about how you metabolize certain foods, about how you, how you respond to certain types of exercise. There is so much information mm. out there that we can learn about ourselves mm-hmm. that we don't really dive into. And I understand it's not, it's not cheap to right, learn about right. ourselves. Sure. Um, and that's why I kind of like doing the interventions, you know what I mean? And like learning from myself, um, you know, being intuitive, being aware of what I'm doing and what I respond well to journaling, right? Like food journals are so great because you can just take a note. I respond well to eating avocado in the morning. Mm-hmm. I don't respond well to eating Pop-Tarts in the morning. Mm-hmm. This is how I feel when I eat Pop-Tarts in the morning. So when you have all that information, you can take it and put it into something that's customized and individualized and personalized to you. Now, all of a sudden, we have something that's sustainable in the long yeah. run. Yeah. So you're saying it's not just the 23andMe testing. It's kind of the whole picture, the composite of everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, if somebody doesn't have the money to spend all this, you know, this money and time on these testings, what are your thoughts on elimination diets where you start at bare bones and then you kind of just systematically add things and see how your body reacts to them? Yeah. It's a really good question, John. And I think it it depends on the person. It depends on their, their place in life. Uh, and it depends on their readiness to Mm. experiment because that's a big experiment. You know what I mean? For sure. Like you could take, you you know, you can take one Petri dish and grow, you know, a culture, or you can take like 10,000 Petri dishes and grow 10,000 different cultures. Mm -hmm. Right. But what I'm trying to say is that like, if you're trying, to learn more about yourself than 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 change one single thing right just change one variable and see how you respond well to it and if you don't notice a difference then move on or if you mm-hmm. do notice a difference great take note and then move on <laughs> um mm-hmm. I, I think elimination diets are a way that you can immerse yourself into information um but they're 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 they're, they're something that is considered the gold standard when mm-hmm. it comes to understanding food sensitivities mm-hmm. because it's symptomatically based right mm-hmm. but i think what food sensitivity and elimination diets don't do is they don't take into account inflammation that's coming from an environmental level. So if you're really stressed, um, if you've been through a lot of, you know, um, significant life changes recently, if you're, you know, if your mental health is not in check, if you're not sleeping well, if you're dehydrated, whatever these things are, you have to take that into consideration Mm -hmm. when you're doing an elimination diet Mm -hmm. because your body is 
stress and immune response yeah. are very closely related. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To, to this, this nutrition component. So yeah. I think once you take all that into consideration and you're in a good place, yes, work with a registered dietitian or an exercise specialist who's um, a certified specialist in sports dietetics, right. um, who's also a registered dietitian, yeah. you know what I mean? Or a healthcare professional who knows what the hell they're doing, right. because that is a really big intervention and you want to make sure you're making the right decisions for yourself. Yeah. No, that's good. Keto. <laughs> what do you think about keto? I mean, it, keto <laughs> is like, you know, I think in the last couple of years, a lot of people have really enjoyed keto. It's become, it's very popular. Um, the reason I bring it up is because I actually think I remember Dr. Rhonda Patrick talking about one of the most important ways to figure out whether you be a candidate to do keto would be that genetic testing because they could say, well, your body's either going to or not going to respond well to this. So what are your thoughts on keto? Fascinating, isn't it? Oh, keto. Yeah. Oh, keto. So, um, so, Is you know, it keto? no, I don't oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. see whatever you want, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's interesting, John, because people are so, um, enamored with keto and, mm -hmm. and you know what, when, when I first heard about it, when I first experimented with it, when I first learned about it, I, I was definitely in that enamored state. And, and I still appreciate, um, you know, the, 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 the keto approach, but I think what we, um, what we don't realize is it's a temporary intervention, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, what does that look like um, when you're coming out of it, especially if you're physically active, right? Because if you're using your muscle glycogen, which is carbohydrates, um, and then you deplete that, and then you go keto, for men, it actually is a really interesting response. Their testosterone shoots way up. Mm. For women, their estrogen can plummet. Really? And so, if you're physically active and doing these kinds of things, you'll see men respond better to, to, to you know, the short-term ketogenic interventions. Um, and then women, you know, not so much sometimes, mm. depending mm. on your activity level. I was doing this when I was doing the incline three or four times a week. And it was like, oh, no wonder. <laughs> but you, you did keto? I did do keto. I did keto back in 2018. And what was your experience with it? You know, I I, I loved certain parts about it, right? I was I was satiated. I didn't have as many food cravings personally. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, I was a little bit more clear-minded. However, what I noticed is I would start, I would like be driving in the car and I'd see like, you know, a family drive by, uh, you know, next to me on the highway and I would just start sobbing. And it was like, wait a minute, what is going on? And I, and I think what was happening is my cortisol was just through the roof oh. and, and cortisol and estrogen have a very, very uh, close connection to each mm. other. And so if you're stressing your body by not providing it any quick source of fuel and doing high intensity exercise, mm. your body's not adapted to that right, right. away. Right. Um, research that I've read most recently shows that like maybe seven months, six months, four months, maybe for some people you can, you can achieve keto adaptation, mm. which means that your body is using primarily fat for fuel and high intensity exercise. Mm. Um, but in between, not so much. So you really have to get to a place where you're comfortable doing that and you have to sustain a ketogenic diet for that entire time. Right. Yeah. And once you, you know, you have your carbs, all of a sudden, you know, you're not in ketosis anymore. Right. And the more you do ketosis, the harder it is to reach a state of ketosis, mm. um, which is where intermittent fasting comes in. Right. Cause like, that's an interesting whole nother wormhole that, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to get no, into right this moment. We're going to talk about intermittent <laughs> fasting. So that's so, good. So I hope that answers your question about what is my opinion on keto. I love it because I think it's a beautiful way to show how healthy fats can do a lot for the body. Mm -hmm. But like when it comes down to like, okay, I, I, I want to eat carbs sometime in the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> at least yeah. once. Yeah. How, what does that look like in the long term? Yeah. Um, for me, you know, like I sustain a higher healthy fat diet and I know in the bottom of my soul, that's what's right for me, even though I'm really physically active. And then I enjoy my carbohydrates around my physical activity yeah. to make sure that my muscle glycogen is replenished and my metabolism is replenished. Okay. Gotcha. No, that's great. Well, since you talked about it, since you brought up the term, I'm sorry. No, it's good. <laughs> Cause sorry. this was actually a question I was going to ask about anyway. So intermittent fasting, 
what are your thoughts on it? Who is it good for? And then I'll ask a follow-up question after you're done. Yeah. What an incredible question. I really, I really love this topic. Um, and I think it's only going to get better because I think, you know, in America, we tend to look at, um, our, our habits, our, our society, our, the way we operate is so normal. Right. Um, and so when you hear somebody talking about, you need to eat a breakfast, you need to eat a lunch, you need to eat a dinner. Um, that's an expectation, you know what I mean? That we have in society or at least lunch and dinner, if you're going to be, you know, a rebel and skip breakfast. But I, I like to put it in really simple terms for people. And I, and I, and I don't even want to use any like verbiage that's going to define anything, but I just want to say like, if you're hungry, then you should eat. And mm-hmm. if you're not hungry, then maybe you shouldn't eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. if you put it that simply, now all of a sudden, maybe maybe we're getting into a conversation where we're talking about correlating our hunger with our metabolism. Mm-hmm. And if our metabolism is running so slowly that we haven't digested or haven't absorbed or haven't utilized the fuel that we ate last night for dinner, then why are we then why are we eating breakfast to mm-hmm. to like to get it running again so that we overeat again? And and you know, like the, the, the research that's concerning to me is more so around hormonal concentrations that that um, that are related to hunger and fullness mm. um, function. So when we're talking about people who eat more often, you're, you're stimulating your hunger and fullness hormones mm-hmm. when you eat. Um, and so if you're overstimulating those things by eating so often and then not justifying that energy or that fuel that you're eating with movement, now all of a sudden we're getting into a lifestyle where Americans are overweight and obese. Mm. And it's because we're not being intuitive with our bodies anymore. Right. Or at least, you know, just paying attention to the very simple concept that if you're not hungry, you probably don't need to eat. Right. Um, just because society tells us we do doesn't mean we need to either. Right. So so I think intermittent fasting is a really interesting topic, but I think it gets overcomplicated a lot. Yeah. And so if we can just, you know, rely on our own internal cues for success, I think we're going to be successful, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I actually, I have a, a friend who he's extremely healthy, very lean. very muscular. He did a fast and obviously it wasn't like an extended fast. It was just kind of a one-time deal, but it basically was to simulate a failed hunt. So like he would, he like walked for X amount of miles and then I guess you didn't get your, you didn't get your food. Like you didn't successfully get whatever it would be in a hunt where you killed something. Rats. (laughs) And then he'd have to wait like another day or two before he could eat again. And I don't know the whole intention of it, but it was very, very interesting. But when I think about intermittent fasting, I think a lot about people on the fire department because there's a lot of guys who do intermittent fasting and they have success with it. And they, you know, I think most people typically will do like, oh, I'll stop eating at 8 p.m. and I'll eat the next day at noon. Well, you know, Rob Wolf. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So Rob Wolf, I heard him on a podcast not long ago and he was talking about how for certain populations like first responders, Intermittent fasting might not be a good idea because Agreed. you yeah, you have this idea that, you know, I'm going to stop eating at 8 p.m. and then I'm going to eat again at uh, noon the next day. But what if you get a call? You know, exactly. If, yeah, your job you're... relies on on normal neurological function. Right. And if you are depleting your blood sugar and, and you know, you feel lightheaded or, you know what I mean, you're hungry and you can't focus and concentrate on like the job at hand, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're talking about some really serious stuff. So yeah. first responders, you know, firefighters, um, athletes, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's, there's certain populations that intermittent fasting needs careful consideration right. for, you know what right. I mean? Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not a fan of telling people like you can't do this or you shouldn't do this, but like you have to be aware of the consequences of your interventions before you endure them, right? Yeah. Um, or at least to the best of your knowledge, do your homework. Don't right. just jump into it. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see a scenario where somebody who's doing intermittent fasting 
plans on eating at noon and then they end up going to a structure fire for three or four hours and then they're just freaking, you know, Bad totally news. depleted. So, okay. Supplements. <laughs> what are <laughs> your thoughts on supplements? Uh, what supplements would you encourage people to take? Supplements. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me kind of give you a Jekyll and Hyde perspective on supplements. So, you know, I, I tell a lot of people like, there's no way I'm going to convince you to, to, to swallow a pill every day for the rest of your life. Right. Um, I think that there are so many incredible supplements out there, mm. but if you're not going to sustain it, then like, what are we doing here? So mm -hmm. then it comes back to that conversation we have about interventions, right? Um, so, so I think that like, you know, when it comes to supplements, it, it makes sense to supplement with what you're trying to influence. Right. Um, and also, you know, if you have like any deficiencies, vitamin D, you know, I, I, I don't think I could scream loud enough from the heavens, how important vitamin D supplementation mm -hmm. is for so many Americans, even if you're light skinned, even if you live outside and, and, you know, like there's a genetic component to it. You know what I mean? Um, and, and also because, you know, we live in Colorado and the earth, earth is tilted on its axis. We don't get the right stimulation of UVB sun rays at the mm. angle that we're facing. Mm. And so even in the summertime, like I, you know, I, I personally, you know, live outside five, six days a week, went and got my vitamin D tested in October and I was insufficient. Really? Um, and so I was like, well, shoot, like that means that like, I just need to supplement. And, 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 and so like, there's this misconception that like we have enough sunshine or vitamin D and sunshine. Not true. Maybe. Maybe yeah. if you live in like Ecuador um, and yeah. you have light skin or, or, or medium skin, but like mm -hmm. still there's so much to that. And so there's a couple of supplements that I think are necessary for um, inadequacies like vitamin D, magnesium, um, maybe even at times zinc and, um, and uh, vitamin C mm. um, for immunity. But then mm. you get into like, you know, these other classifications of supplements, right? Like nootropics for mental health. Oh my gosh, for brain plasticity and, and, and neuroinflammation. Like there's so many things that like there are out there that like we haven't even, you know, explored in our normal diet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There are these, there are these items and, 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 and a lot of herbal supplements that can really help enhance mental performance. Um, like and that's, lion's mane mushrooms. Sure. Yeah. Or, or, or St. John's wort or mm -hmm. N-acetylcysteine. I mean, yeah. there's so many out there. And mm -hmm. so, um, and so like, that's a whole nother class. And then we talk about like weight loss supplements and we can talk about like, I don't know, herbal supplements for, you know, for, for women who want to get pregnant. Like there's so yeah. many things that, right. that supplements can do. Um, and so I think that like, you know, when you're having a conversation about supplements, you have to have a conversation of what does it make sense, um, for me to take regularly mm -hmm. and, and what makes sense for me to take on an intervention basis. Yeah. And if I do take on something on an interventional, in, in <laughs> interventional basis, then, um, what is it trying, what do I want it to do for me? Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'd done the work or talked to the expert about this to, to, to know what to expect and to, to know what to measure as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a couple things. I mean, it's interesting. You talk about vitamin D because I actually just started taking vitamin D like a month oh, ago. Thank you. Thank God. Um, awesome. and it was after, listening to a couple podcasts and reading some research and, you know, like, and I'll talk about the other supplements that I take in a second here, but I've since taking vitamin D, like my mood is better. Nice. Which yep. is interesting. Very you know? correlated yeah, because yeah. vitamin D helps with calcium absorption mm -hmm. and you have calcium channels in your brain that help transfer serotonin to your okay. receptors. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So I've, that's, that's been a great benefit. Um, I started taking it after I got COVID. So I was like, well, oh. I'll just start taking this as a daily supplement. Cause like you said, I was reading like in Colorado, most of us are, have vitamin D deficiency anyway. So, you know, might as well take it. So anyway, I've been taking that, um, creatine. Ooh, so of course. I, I want to hear your thoughts because everything that I know about creatine is that it's the most studied supplement that there is. 
Um, when I, I remember when I was in high school and I was in football, some guys would take creatine pills and the, our coaches would always say like, be careful. Cause you're going to get kidney stones if you take creatine. Well, I've done a ton of research on creatine and I, that's one thing that I do take every day. So five grams of, cre- of creatine every single day. Um, I haven't gotten kidney stones yet, but then again, <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, I could get kidney stones from drinking too many energy drinks and not drinking enough water. Well, so. and that's where it stems from, right? Because creatine, creatine phosphate, right? It's this, it's this compound that is, is holding onto phosphates to provide phosphates to ADP to make energy, ATP, right? Mm-hmm. It's your quickest source of energy. And so, um, so there is concern around it because it's, it's protein based, right? Mm-hmm. Um, creatine phosphate is, is, is protein based. And so if you're eating a whole bunch of creatine and, and, and also eating a whole bunch of protein powder, protein shakes, protein bars, meat, and then you're not meeting your fluid needs because mm-hmm. it requires more water to process yeah. nitrogen, which is the main atom in protein. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, if you're talking about, you know, all that kind of stuff, then, then yeah, absolutely. You can risk kidney stones, but if you're staying hydrated and you're uh, supplementing appropriately, not going overboard, warranting the creatine, right? Like I think, you know, one of my, um, my favorite experiences with creatine is like watching people build muscle because it's so effective in that way. But there's also, you know, um, very preliminary research to suggest that creatine can help with brain function as well. Mm. And so, um, when we're talking about creatine for muscle and muscle bulking, it's just a matter of not going overboard on your protein. You know what I mean? Um, and if you can do that, then like, you know, creatine might be one of the best supplements, you know, out there on the market. Um, you can get creatine naturally from meat. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if like you're, if you're, if you're eating meat and you're eating meat accordingly and, and, and in a way that's optimizing your absorption, then you can absolutely meet your creatine needs with eating meat. But, um, but to supplement with it is, is also effective, especially and, and, and in my opinion, um, preliminary or predominantly if it's creatine monohydrate. Okay. Do you consider creatine to be a lifetime supplement? Cause I've, I've read articles saying that in studies too, that even for elderly people, they would recommend that they take creatine for the purpose of, I guess, I don't know, building or retaining muscle. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of muscle wasting in geriatric mm-hmm. populations. Right. And I think when I hear you say lifetime supplement, I think, yeah, like if you can, if you can, if you can find a way to sustain it throughout the lifetime, mm-hmm. then yes. And that's where my mind just goes back to meat. Like, why aren't we eating? <laughs> yeah. And honestly, elderly populations don't eat a lot of meat right. because they have a lot of difficulty chewing and yeah. swallowing typically. So that's probably why they're not getting enough creatine mm-hmm. and why creatine is helping. Right. Mm-hmm. So it comes down always to the re- root cause. Um, and, and, and also how can we do this in a way that's sustainable? And mm-hmm. so if you're eating meat, if you're a meat eater and I, and you know, I'm a big, fan of high quality meat. I love, um, Willow Creek pastures. I love, you know, our places in the Springs that are, you know, small local farms. Those guys are, you know, the ones that are are doing the good work to make sure that animal welfare is established so that, you know, we're, we're having a high quality meat. Um, but I think that, you know, if we're meeting our, 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 our protein needs, then, then we don't necessarily need to supplement with creatine all the time, every day, the rest of our Mm. life. Okay. With creatine, I want to make sure I understand that it, how it works, because I do definitely notice, I I especially noticed a difference when I first started taking it. So what I noticed was I would have more isometric strength or maybe not more isometric strength, but a longer duration of isometric strength. Interesting. So is the idea that you have ATP, one of those phosphates goes away and then creatine replenishes that lost phosphate? Creatine supplies the phosphate. Okay. So, so let's see, how do we, how do we talk about this? So, so you have a lot of different energy pathways, right? A lot of different ways we can gain energy from our bodies. Fat, right? Stored fat is our slowest form of energy. And so we can take it up, convert it into energy, but that's like the least efficient. So what's the most efficient? Our most efficient is our creatine phosphate pathways. And so what happens is ATP 
becomes ADP. We give away that phosphate to, to release that energy. And then our ADP is just left, <clears throat> excuse me, without that phosphate. So creatine is just, you know, free, free floating and, and, and is able to supply that phosphate to the ADP to make ATP again. Mm. And so we only have like probably 15 seconds worth of creatine phosphate stores in our body. However, that's where blood sugar kicks in. That's where muscle glycogen kicks in. And now we're able to, you know, pull from different channels to make our energy. So creatine is, is supplying a fast explosive energy, right. right? And so when you're telling me that you're experiencing higher levels of isometrics, I wonder if it's due to a um an ability to sustain because of growth, right? Mm. I wonder. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, that I, makes I, sense. I think I think that's it's, right. It's helped me in jujitsu too though. When I go to like explode, I, I was feel say, like I have powerful yeah, explosive yeah, movements. Yeah. I feel like I I definitely have not necessarily more power, but it's like I can I have a little bit more output. You know what I mean? You ha you, ha you have to. If yeah. you're if you're if you're creatine replenished, then you have to have that energy. And right. if you're creatine depleted, you're not going to have as much right. energy. That so, makes sense. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what the what the research around resistance training, muscle um, isometric capacity, and creatine monohydrate mm -hmm. is. And, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there's if there's promising results because you're when you're in an isometric hold, you're talking about something that's you know that's very um, slow twitch muscle mm -hmm. muscle fibers, mm -hmm. and those supply creatine as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so with this kind of conversation of like energy expenditure, another thing that I've read and kind of experimented with was beta alanine. Ooh. So <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's actually why I stopped using it was just because I don't like the tingles. You know what I mean? And I was the, what I, everything I read was like, okay, take it before you work out, take it before I go to jujitsu, you know, for the purpose of, I guess, once you transition from that really powerful phase into kind of that anaerobic phase, it'll help you. But I couldn't get over the the face tingling. But do do you do you see a benefit for athletes in using beta alanine? You know, personally, I don't tend to recommend beta alanine for for most athletes. Um, for one reason being the tingling. For two, you know, it's got a lot of promising research behind it. I really mm -hmm. and, and, and effective research, I would say too. Um, I my preference is to go toward nitric oxide mm -hmm. um, as a, as a performance ergogenic aid um, and instead of the beta alanine. And that's just my approach personally. Okay. Um, I'm really a big fan of nitric oxide. And you don't get the side effects that you would with beta. Oh no, be, okay. beet, beet juice, right? Celery yeah. juice. Um, you know leafy greens. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things, tart cherry juice. Oh my God. Um, and so we can talk about, you know, how like different ways to manipulate the body to get the same effects. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just different biomechanisms. Right. And so I think that that to me is something that's probably more sustainable, something that doesn't have the side effect of the tinglies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then also like you get the, the enhanced performance as okay. a result. Gotcha. What about fish oil? Oh, dude, I'm about it. Oh, I'm Are obsessed. You? I love it so much. Yeah. And for what reason? So like why, <laughs> so why, many. if you were to tell somebody to take fish oil, what, what are the benefits of taking fish oil? Why would somebody want to take it? Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe going back to like the general American population is a good place to start. So fish oil, what is in fish oil? That's so great. It's our omega threes, mm -hmm. omega threes, especially in the forms of EPA and DHA are, um, very anti-inflammatory for the body and really important for neurofunction. Um, so, um, you know, we talk about brain health, we can talk about nerves, we can talk about muscles, uh, everything that's connected to our neuromuscular system. Um, and also I think like, you know, as a, as a whole, like inflammation in a systemic way in the body. So, mm -hmm. So omega-3s are an essential fatty acid. We need them. Essential means that we don't get them. Um, we, our body can't make it ourselves. So we have to get it through our diet, just like our essential vitamins and minerals. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're talking about essential fats, oh my gosh, right up my alley, right? Yeah. So essential fats are your omega-3s, omega-6s, and to some extent, our omega-9s as well. 
Omega threes and sixes are very different from one another. Omega sixes tend to be pro-inflammatory in nature, even though we need them. Mm. Um, and omega sixes tend to be, or I'm sorry, excuse me, omega threes tend to be anti-inflammatory in nature. And so the idea is, is can we find a good ratio? Can we find a good ratio between omega threes and omega sixes that's associated with the lowest risk for disease? And so what they found in the history of the research is that, you know, a three or four to one omega six to three ratio has been associated with lower levels of chronic diseases that are diet related. However, the average American diet is anywhere from 15 or 16 to one omega six to three. Hmm. So now all of a sudden our ratios are way off, right? For, for, for every omega three we have, we should have three or four omega sixes and we have 15 or 16 is the way to flip that around. Hmm. And so what I'm, what I'm saying with that is that there's a lot of, um, a lot of data to suggest that maybe we have a higher state of inflammation if we have a higher omega-6 diet. Mm. Um, Omega-6s are found in things like soybean oil, right? Highly processed vegetable oils that are um, in our salad dressings, mayonnaise, sauces, anything from the deli, anything from the restaurant, fat fried foods, um, you know, and things that you just wouldn't expect. Mm. Um, and so that's why I think like when we have a diet that's so surrounded in highly processed foods, it's going to be higher in omega sixes, which means we're going to have higher levels of inflammation, mm. which is why fish oil is so important in the first place. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. All right. This is like the last formal question that I have, but we can obviously, uh, open it up to whatever you want. If you're, you're, you're prescribing a diet for somebody um, you get everything laid out, you know, that for a lot of people, it's going to be a daunting task, right? What are some tips that you would give somebody as far as staying consistent with their diet? Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, John, like I, I shy away from giving anybody like a a flat out diet, right? I think that like I give people suggestions and they, and they run with it. And if, and and if there are people who come to me that want to do a particular diet, then it's my job to always support, never convert. Right. And so if we're supporting this, this notion of, you know, doing an intervention that's temporary and establishing a timeframe and all this kind of stuff, you know, consistency is a really interesting word. Um, I, I came across my Girl Scout cookies from last year, <laughs> like a year ago, I came across these Girl Scout cookies that I just forgot about in my garage. And, and, and it made me realize that like, you know, it's not as much about consistency as it is about making a decision for yourself. Once you've made the decision, there's, there's, there's only the work that's to be done. And, and so when people don't make those decisions and they endure an intervention is when people tend to fail. Mm. So you have to be willing to endure, right? Endurance is the only goal. And so if the only goal is endurance, then you just have to make the decision to endure. Mm-hmm. And if you are going back and forth and back and forth about that, maybe you're not ready. Maybe, maybe you have some underlying stuff that you need to work on, right? Yeah. Like your relationship with food or what are your goals really going to provide for you? You know, are, are your, are your outcomes really worth the intervention? Um, and, and, and honestly, like once people make those decisions, I don't have an issue with people not sustaining their, 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 their lifestyle changes. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, I think we've, we've tackled a lot of really good stuff. I mean, from, you know, just basic questions, but also to some like more in-depth stuff that, you know, I, I mean, I've, I, it, I've learned a lot because this is something I'm very interested in, um, especially, you know, kind of the science that goes behind it with some of the supplements and, you know, some of the stuff you talked about different types of diets or different types of foods that we're eating. If people want to get more information about what you do, um, what you're up to right now, where do they go? So, you know, it's so funny, John, we're, we're in the middle of building a new company right now. And we're about to go live in the next month or so. So I'm going to give you um, my, my social media information. Um, We just started a company um, based out of uh, Los Angeles called Inc. 
INC mm-hmm. nutrition. Um, and Inc nutrition is all about nutrition, exercise, and mental health. We are providing dietitians across the nation to a uh, virtual platform. So people who have health insurance, um, if your BMI is over 25 and you have any, um, any dietary ailments that are indicated in your lab work, lab work, like high blood pressure, high blood sugar, um, you know, impaired, um, fasting blood, sh- blood glucose, high cholesterol, high LDL, low HDL, any of that kind of stuff, mm. um, you actually qualify to meet with a dietitian oh. three times a year. And most people don't know this. And mm. I'm like, again, screaming to the heavens, trying to get everybody to understand this because like, if we could just tell people, Hey, you can go see a dietitian and it's covered under your insurance. I feel like more people would go. For sure. It's like my, it's like my mission in life right now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Inc nutrition, LLC.com will be going live in the next month or so. And you can get a hold of us there. If you, if you want to use your insurance and meet with a dietitian under Perfect. that. Awesome. And then what's your personal uh, social media account that people can follow you at? Jenna Moore, two N's, two O's, J-E-N-N-A-M-O-R-E-R-D. On Instagram? Yep. Perfect. Facebook, Twitter, all cool. that good stuff. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, just that I appreciate your time so Thank much. You. This has been Thank so you. fun. And yeah. I really look forward to, to hearing more about yeah. the, the Mentor Podcast in the yep. future. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks, John.